You're listening to the Sound Defense Alliance podcast. Welcome back to the Sound Defense Alliance podcast, where we're learning all about the impacts of the Navy's Growler jets. I'm Tara, and I'm here with my co-host, Caitlin. In this episode, we'll continue to learn about how the Growlers impact the environment. The president of the Citizens of Evie's Reserve, Bob Wilbur, is going to share how the Growler noise impacts animals in Northwest Washington, how the Navy is overlooking the impacts, and the work Corps is doing to protect two local species. Bob starts by telling us what species are most impacted by the Growlers, as identified in the environmental impact statements done by the Navy. The ones that were most likely to be affected, I looked at the EIS and the EIS totaled up. This is the Northwest Training and Testing EIS, not the Growler EIS. But they listed six species of whales that could be affected. Guadalupe fur seal, the leatherback turtle, about 25 species of salmon and trout, three rockfish species, eulicon, and so forth. Now, all of those species that I just went through are not endangered or threatened, but they are of concern, and they at least were considered in the EIS. So only a handful of them actually were were endangered, and we're focusing on the endangered species here and, and the threatened species. Based on the resources they have available, Corps has decided to focus its efforts on two species, the orca whale and the marble murrelet. Before sharing the impacts of the growlers on the orca whales, Bob is going to give us an intro to the murrelet and how these birds are impacted. It's a kind of a small, they describe it as a robin-sized bird, but it's actually a bit larger and certainly a bit plumper than a robin might be. And they primarily live on the marine waters, loafing and catching fish and having a pleasant life. But they are very timid. And if you've ever been out trolling for salmon or whatever, you can occasionally come up against one that's kind of paddling ahead of the boat, trying to get out of the way. And they're always looking back at you rather nervously to see how close you're getting. And eventually, if you get close enough to it, it'll dive and try and escape. And these little birds are interesting. They actually leave the marine waters and fly sometimes 30, it been reports of 60 miles inland to nest and find a, a little platform of sorts in mostly, most frequently in old growth timber. And they'll scratch out a little cavity in the moss and land one egg. Then the male and the female will trade turns 12 hours on, 12 hours off, incubating the egg. And during the off period, they go back and get some food to eat. And then the other, the other one will come back and take its turn. And once a little chick hatches, they're very busy because they have to go two, three, sometimes four times a day, flying back and forth between the nest and the marine waters to catch a fish. They have to catch that fish, and then they generally bring it up to the surface. And then they hold the fish there for a while in their beak uh, while the fish dies from uh, lack of air. And then when it's fishes settle down, they take that fish 30 miles or whatever it is back to the nest to feed the chick. So it, it's an arduous process that requires a lot of energy. If they had two chicks, they probably couldn't do it. That's why they only have one, one egg. The murelets are under the control of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, whereas the orcas are managed by the National Marine Fishery Service, which is often called by its acronym NMFS called NIMPS. So you may hear people say NIMPS, they mean National Marine Fisheries Service. But anyway, 
So in the environmental impact statement arena, the impacts all boil down to what they call takes. So takes are just really a polite way of saying we kill it, we harm it, we harass it. And they just don't want to say it that way. So they count the number of takes. Well, with growler noise, there is no actual killing. There's no actual physical harms unless they really get exposed to some high decibel levels and it can screw up their hearing. But generally that's discounted because it just doesn't happen frequently enough or only very rarely. But harassment does happen and it happens a lot. So what's harassment? Well, harassment is, has to be something that disturbs the animal, disturbs the animal in a way that causes it fear and physiological stress may in the process force the animal to cease feeding or to drop that fish that it's holding in its beak. And then whether it gets it back or has to go find another fish, who knows? It can make the murelets dive to escape the noise, try to escape the noise, or it can make them get up and fly to perhaps a less desirable area, trying to escape the noise, an area that might not be as food rich or that might be not as safe from predators. This process of harassment can diminish the animal's well-being. And if it happens frequently enough, you know, it really can weaken the animal, cause it breeding failures, increase its vulnerability to predation or disease. And it can definitely affect its ability to feed their, their nestling. The problem is that the Fish and Wildlife Service says, okay, a growler flies over and there's so much noise. We know the animal is in some way affected by that noise, but we don't know if it's an actual problem for the growler. We just know it's been exposed to that noise and that's all we can do, but they couldn't translate that exposure to an actual harassment take. So the court decided, and you can't really enumerate the number of takes, if you can come up with a surrogate, that's okay. So Fish and Wildlife Service said, okay, our surrogate is going to be, we're going to count the number of times that marble murelets are exposed to growler noise, and that'll stand in for harassment tape. But it wasn't just any growler. They said, no, it has to be growler noise of 92 decibels or more. So what they did then was to say, okay, here are the areas working with the Navy. Here are the areas where we think growler noise is going to go over 92 decibels for some period of time. And then they said, okay, based on what we can assume here, we can assume they're going to be in that noise footprint of 92 decibels. There are going to be so many marble murelets in there, and they're going to be exposed to 92 decibels so many times. So they totaled all those up and they came up with thousands and thousands and thousands of exposures. That was okay, but the problem was it met the requirement. It wasn't necessarily okay because they couldn't really say how many of those exposures were really harassments, but at least it was okay in that it legally met what was required of the service. The thing is that <laughs> In preparing the Growler EIS, the Fish and Wildlife Service and the Navy somehow missed 
a whole bunch of areas where murelets are going to be and where 90 decibels is going to happen. And they didn't count those areas and therefore they didn't count those exposures. And we see that as a, a fatal flaw in the EIS. And that's one of the flaws we're going to, we would be attacking, assuming we get into that lawsuit and we're hoping to do that. But the other part of the problem is actually there's another threshold that actually is a fish and wildlife threshold that they just ignored. And that is, they call that one the sort of the Delta 25 threshold. And murelets generally live in a pretty quiet environment. If the, if the noise suddenly increases by 25 decibels, that's where the Delta comes in, change of 25 decibels. If it suddenly goes up 25 decibels, the murelets are believed to be disturbed. We don't know why, but Fish and Wildlife Service just ignored that threshold completely. And there are a whole bunch of areas where the noise will go up by 25 decibels rather suddenly that they just ignored. You know, so obviously, in our mind, they undercounted, missed a whole bunch of places where they, that they should have counted neural exposures, and they didn't. And we're going to pursue that with them in court, we believe. While you may not have even heard of the marbled muralette before this podcast, we are sure that you've heard of orca whales. They are absolutely beloved whales featured in movies, kept in captivity as the prime attractions at SeaWorld amusement parks, and are a huge tourism draw for the state of Washington. Unfortunately, on top of the other human impacts that they have to endure, they are further being harmed by growler jet noise. I guess it boils down to the fact that, and here we're talking about National Marine Fisheries Service, because they're the ones that are in charge of or manage the uh, marine mammals. They decided, a little bit of a mystery as to how they came up with this, but they decided that growler noise coming from the air going into the water only penetrated into the water the upper six feet. By the time the noise got down to basically six feet, the noise was basically dissipated or trivial and nothing to worry about. And as a result, they only, in the EIS, they only considered the impacts on whales that would be in that upper six foot column of water. Recently, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, there was a study, actually I guess just a couple of summers ago, there was a study done on the growler noise and they found that, whoa, lo and behold, the growler noise penetrated down at significant levels to 100 feet. That was the limit that they their research took it. Obviously, if, if it was significant at 100 feet, you know, then obviously it went on a lot deeper than that. Also, it raised the question as to how that noise disperses itself laterally through the water column. And so as a result, that shortcoming of the EIS really indicated that both the EISs were undercounting the impacts quite significantly because there's a lot of water down there that they were ignoring. You know, with the problem with the whales is we do know one of their major ways of feeding themselves is through echolocation. And if you screw up their noise environment, you may very well make them unable to capture a prey or they'll miss capturing a prey. All those sorts of issues arise as a result of the noise. Adding to why it's a problem, you know, we have to realize that aside from, from jet noise, there's also Navy vessel noise that impacts them. 
but all these activities that the Navy is conducting in the Puget Sound, Strait of Juan de Fuca, and Outer Coast area, all those activities can cause physical takes, meaning harms, actual physical harm, and in some cases, potentially deaths. Some of those things that would result as a result of those activities would be like a, a vessel strike, a Navy vessel striking a, a whale, and that does happen. And they're setting off bombs and missiles and explosions, and they're shooting projectiles out. All of those things have potential for causing physical harm, as well as sonar. Sonar, as we know, is coming to the forefront, depending on the type of sonar, it can also really mess up their inner ears and cause them to cause the animals to beach themselves. And then there are toxic residues that result from those explosions. And those residues can enter the food chain and work their way up to the top predator, which of course is the orca. Between the growler noise and the actual practice of shooting bombs and missiles and so forth, there are lots and lots, thousands of takes. And so those are of great concern. They're of even greater concern due to what's known as, has become recognized in population conservation. There's a concept called the minimum viable population size. And that's a threshold at which extinction becomes almost certain. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but there may be some sort of biological or physical event in the environment that is particularly damaging. And when that happens, when, the, when something like that happens, that species is really likely to go extinct shortly thereafter. So the minimum viable population had been believed to be around 500 individuals. Recent research indicates that it could be somewhat lower, but nevertheless, we have to recognize that these Southern resident workers number only around 72 individuals. So they are in really big trouble. They are below the minimum viable population size. And they need all the help we can give them. Instead, what we're allowing to have happen to them is sort of death by duck bites. We allow this little take here and that little take there. And these animals just sort of are dying by duck bites. So they cannot miss seedings due to growler noise. And that's going to be kind of our argument. We need fewer takes, not more takes. The Navy has enacted some measures to protect the orcas from their activities but these measures are more focused on protecting them from vessel impacts rather than the effects of the growler jet noise. They do have observers that are trying to spot the orcas. If they're on the surface, they can spot them. Sometimes there are other ways they can spot them. And if they are spotted and known to be in the area, then the Navy will curtail its activity. So that does help somewhat, but it's a bit of a long shot. We don't really know how effective that is. And there's been, of course, all kinds of research done on the impacts of vessel noise, uh, disturbing feeding and, and disturbing the orcas in various ways, but then very little on impacts of growler noise, which is a lot different than vessel noise. The orcas need to be protected not just from the Navy vessels in the water, but also from the noise from the jets penetrating the water far deeper than the Navy recognizes. The impacts of the growler jets on species like the marbled murrelet and the orca whale are vastly underestimated. The Navy is supposed to use in all its EISs what is called best available science, which means the most current and most informative science at the moment. 
unfortunately, what the Navy has done with the EIS is both the Northwest Training and Testing EIS and the Growler EIS, what they've done is sort of cherry pick their science. They pick the science that suits their interest. It's disheartening that the Navy cherry picks data on an issue that impacts the health of both humans and animals alike. If you're concerned about the Growler jet issue and how animals like these are being harmed, there are ways that you can get involved. I think many people know that the, the governor is quite concerned about the orcas. It's a species with a very high profile. That would be certainly one person that you could contact to express your support uh, for his staff. And to say, by the way, these orcas are being exposed to growler noise. The growler noise is causing all kinds of community problems. You really need to get on, push on the Navy to move some of those growlers away and try to reduce the impact. Similarly, you could contact Bob Ferguson, the attorney general, tell him the same thing. Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell, they are familiar with the growler noise issue. It would help to make them aware that there are citizens out there that are concerned about the impacts on endangered species, not just humans and residents of the area that are impacted. And then you can always contact the conservation organizations. I mean, I must get 20 emails a month or perhaps even a week. I don't know. I don't count them anymore from places like Greenpeace and Friends of Earth and Audubon Society, all of them legitimately trying to raise money on the orcas and marble murals. So those would be other places you could contact and say, you know, anything you can do to assist these efforts to mitigate the growler noise impacts would be beneficial. To find the resources that Bob mentioned and other ways that you can get involved in the efforts against the growler jet noise issue, check out the show notes below this episode. There, you can also find a glossary with some terms that may be unfamiliar from the episode. Thanks for listening.